Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 195 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I've been excited about this episode for a while because my guest today is someone you may not have met, but you're going to be so glad you did. His name is Kevin Jennings, and actually, he's one of the reasons you're probably listening to this podcast right now. Kevin helped me launch it along with some of my books and some of the other things I have done over the years when he's been at Orange, a company that I love, organization I love, that's just helping the next generation win. And uh, prior to that, he's worked with, uh, well, Tony Robbins, Oprah, Dave Ramsey, and so many others launched New York Times bestsellers. I mean, he's just a brilliant marketing guy. And so if you think about this through the context of your church or your business or your startup or whatever, you know, whatever message you want to get out there, uh, Kevin is somebody who just does an unbelievable job of helping people get their story told. So I was really excited to be able to sit down and have that conversation with him. I think you're going to love it today. And uh, man, it's good to be back. Uh, I know this podcast has kept going every week. But uh, as you may know, if you're a regular listener, I just got back from actually 48 hours ago when I'm recording this uh, from almost a month, actually, in Australia and New Zealand. And we just saw thousands of people there over the time that we were there in churches and also at leadership events. And uh, hey, if you're one of them, just want to say thank you so much for a gracious reception. We absolutely loved our time. We are already looking at coming back in 2020. Uh, started the initial parts of those conversations already. And uh, man, it's just great to see what God is doing in the church around the world. So to all of you Kiwis and Aussies, uh, I still don't have an accent, but we're going to come back and <laughs> try to work that one out. Um, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for that. And wherever you are listening today, uh, got a couple of things I want to share with you. One is, if you haven't subscribed yet, I would just encourage you to do that because as you may have heard me say, uh, we're going to be dropping some extra episodes. We have a big celebration coming up with episode 200. That's going to be happening uh, in the next few weeks. We've also got some extra episodes dropping I think you're going to love. And the only way you make sure you get those is to subscribe. I only ever listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. I don't know why that is. It's just the way our technology is set up. So if you happen to be listening to this randomly and you're like, you know, this helped, um, subscribe. You can do it for free wherever you get your podcasts. And also, I want to talk to you about your design needs. Um, a lot of us, you know, everything is so designed. I mean, do you remember back in the day where like that was a professional thing? And now it doesn't matter like what you do, whether that's your home, whether that's some website you put together, your social media. I mean, so many people, they even have personal brands. And definitely your church or organization needs one. And uh, how do you do that? I mean, some of you, you have in-house stuff and that's awesome. But for most of the rest of us, no. And you're not a graphic designer. Well, that's where Design Crowd comes in. It's a website that helps thought leaders and entrepreneurs outsource or actually even crowdsource custom logo, business cards, and website design from designers around the world. So if you need a logo, I mean, even business cards, it's it's amazing. So they have, get this, 600,000 designers. That's it. And it's crowdsourcing. So how does it work? Well, you post a brief description on their website saying, hey, here's what I want designed. 
they will send it out to all of their designers. Literally within hours, you get your first design. And over the course of about a week, you'll typically get 60 to 100 different designs from designers around the world. So all of a sudden, you've got like a sample of stuff that you can look at. And then it's easy. You just pick the best one and you pay the designer. That's it. Um, what you can do is check out designcrowd.com forward slash carry to learn more. That's designcrowd.com forward slash C-A-R-E-Y. Okay, so you know what's really cool? Because you're listening to this podcast, you've got a unique discount. You'll get up to $100 off your design project simply by either visiting that page, designcrowd.com forward slash carry, or on checkout, use the promo code carry, C-A-R-E-Y, up to $100 off your design project. So what are you waiting for? Make sure that your design is the best it can be. And speaking of the best it can be, are, are you the best you can be when you do what a lot of us do every Sunday? Uh, you speak. And I've been preaching for well, 25 years almost. And I teamed up with a good friend of mine, an incredible communicator, Mark Clark. Uh, regular podcast listeners, you'll know Mark. He's been on the show before. He'll be on again. And he's the author of The Problem of God. He has a huge church out in Vancouver, BC, reaching over 5,000 people. Uh, next generation preacher, just a great communicator. And Mark and I share all of our secrets about putting a great message together. I give you a session on how to give a talk without using notes. I mean, that is such a huge game changer. I also talk about how to write a killer bottom line for your talk, like a very specific teachable method um, that will have people like five years down the road, 10 years down the road, remembering what you said in a particular message. It's crazy because I've seen it happen again and again. If you're not in on the launch yet, get over to theartofbetterpreaching.com today and sign up for the wait list. It's free. Uh, we would love to have you there, theartofbetterpreaching.com. All the links are in the show notes, of course. And without much further ado, um, I'm going to jump into my conversation with Kevin Jennings, who these days is hanging around as the CEO of his new company, Junction 32, helping people get their story told as uh, they want to help you positively impact the world. So here's my conversation with Kevin Jennings. Well, this is so long overdue, and I've been so excited about this. Today on the podcast, my guest, Kevin Jennings. KJ, welcome. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Kerry. I, I, really, I mean, I feel like I am standing on the shoulders of so many giants right now to be on this podcast with you. Oh, I, I well, actually, there wouldn't be a podcast if there wasn't a Kevin Jennings. And this is one of the reasons I'm so excited. You and I have had a chance to work together. Started about four years ago through our mutual friends at Orange uh, and... Mm -hmm. Um, that's Rethink, their amazing group, Reggie Joyner and crew. And uh, you were given this like hopeless project, help this leader out that we love named Kerry Newhoff. And actually, we came up with the whole podcast strategy and uh, you engineered the launch. For those of you who are early listeners, this is, this is that Kevin Jennings. You've heard me talk about Kevin before. Now you're on the podcast. I couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I said, I mean, it's truly been an honor to be a part of it. I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for a little while already knows that you and and, and your heart, um, and it was an honor from the very beginning just to be able to use my skills and abilities to hopefully elevate the message that God has put inside of you. 
Well, and you've done that for me. You've done that for a lot of people. But I want to go right back to the beginning and tell us some of your background. I know you, you and I have talked. I've heard you talk about it on another podcast that you host. But you didn't have the easiest life growing up, Kevin. And I'd love you to just share a little bit about sort of your past and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the theme of that is a couple of things. Um, one, uh, it takes a village to raise a child, you know, that, mm. that classic proverb. Um, and then the other one I think is just uh, the power of dreaming. So uh, when I was seven years old, my parents got divorced and, you know, divorce is so common now that saying that out loud, people still think, oh yeah, well, so are mine. Get in line, kid. But I, yeah. think, but I think the reality is that you know, at seven years old, I didn't even know how to interpret that. Um, and it, you know, my, my dad was uh, struggling with um, alcohol addiction and drug addiction, I think. And and, and my mom and, and, and their relationship, they were such close friends. Uh, my parents were. So when this happened, it really, it really was dividing. And so what that ended up doing for me was just, I, came, I kind of became a chameleon, right? Just kind of like mm. navigating the life of, okay, be what mom needs me to be, be who I need, who I think I need to be for dad to, to you know, and kind of be that peacemaker. I'm the oldest of three. And, um, but what that led to for me though, also was a huge empathy for people. You know, my dad was always so honest about what happened. My mom was so honest about what happened and, um, they both spoke so highly of each other uh, through everything. And I know that's not common. Um, but no. it led to me just, just at a young age saying, okay, my dad's a human who who needs Jesus and he's hurting and, and he's not doing this to hurt me, but he's hurting himself and hurting all of us in the, in the process. And, um, and, it just made me put me on this quest to figure out how to how to have strong relationships for sure um, with other people and and how and how to serve others. Um, but because I always wanted, I mean, I thought to myself, what what would I have done if I was older and I could have been there for my parents when I was seven? That's kind of a big kind of a, hmm. a question that always kind of rang out of my head. Was I wish I could have been more for them, but I was just seven years old, kind of thing. And um, but what, later on, as that kind of went down the road, you know, when life was hard and we didn't have much, and my mom was a single mom taking care of two kids in a private Christian school because my mom wanted us to go to a, a private school um, in town. And um, my mom would always say, well, guys, like, you know, let's dream a little bit. Let's imagine what, like, you know, what if you could do anything, what would it be? And, and we just used dreams, really, as a way to to get through times when we didn't have a lot. And, um, and I look back on that time now, and I recognize how powerful that was because— um, even at that time, my mom always had us explore the possibilities and, mm. and we were never, we were never ones to think that our current circumstance was indicative of our future reality. And, um, and that was, so it was very liberating in that way. And so as I went older, my mom was like, Hey, you're going to do those things. So my mom was very quick to push us into trying a lot of the stuff that we could, we could try. Um, so that led to me, uh, playing trumpet in high school, guitar in high school, being a songwriter, and then trying to get to music business in, in, in Nashville at Belmont university. And that led to me managing different artists around campus and, um, just experimenting with a lot of things. I had a couple of songs on MTV when I was in college. Did you really? Um, yeah, I really did. Um, so I had some instrumental music that was on MTV Cribs. So the show when they would go in people's houses and celebrities' houses. I remember uh, that fun- show, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of my episodes, the episode I had a song on was uh, Kim Kardashian. Before she was fam- Before she yeah, was really no. famous. I know, like, my wife located it online. Um, but it's a really small clip, but it's like, 20 seconds of like my music behind Kim Kardashian on MTV. And um, so, yeah, so that was a part of the story. How did you swing that? How did you get onto MTV when you were a kid? 
Yeah, I had a um, a mentor in, in Nashville who I interned with for a semester and he knew I was writing my own music. He said, well, Kevin, if you like, I'll submit my music with yours and we'll get on TV. You know, if, it, if it gets placed, it will be on TV. And so I get little checks in the mail that tell me my songs on TV still, which is which they're small checks. Very, very small. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it was it was a really cool experience. And it just opened my mind to say, like, this is possible. This is possible for me. I just I just my pursuit of music led me to marketing, which is also pretty random. Yeah. Now, uh, the way I've seen your music show up is in DJing. You do some DJing on the side. Is that something just for fun more, don't you? For sure. Yeah. So that's that's another thing. So because I was known as the music guy my whole life, so everyone thought I was going to be in music most of my life until about uh, age 24, 25. And, um, a buddy, a buddy of mine, and I got asked to DJ a, a friend, like his mother's birthday party when she turned forty, and then, and I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll come play some music. And then another friend asked me to do it for them, and then another buddy of mine, he was getting asked to do the same thing, and eventually we said, you know, we got to do one wedding together. Actually, we did my mom, well, fashion. My mom, my mom and my dad got remarried. Um, so for those, really, so, so yes, yeah, so that's part of the story. Did that happen? How did that happen? So, that's that's yeah, powerful. I, I, that's another episode of the of the podcast. Yeah. Um, but but when I was 27 years old, they got remarried. So they got divorced when I was seven. They got remarried when I was 27. And I mean, that's a big story. But it's wow. about as uh, I, uh, it's a it's God is incredible. Uh, he can and anything is possible. Um, but he brought them back together, and I ended up DJing their wedding. That was the first wedding I DJ with my friend. Uh, DJ my parents' Whoa. wedding. I know they got married a, a year after uh, Leah and I. They got remarried. Yeah. And so we did that wedding, then a couple more weddings. And then we looked up four years later and we're still DJing about 12 to 18 weddings a year. That's awesome. And I mean, you're a great DJ. You're, you're, you're the cool guy. You got the phone. <laughs> you know, you can lay down the beats. I mean, you, you got it going on, Kevin. It's so, it's great. a, it's a labor, it's a labor of love. And, and honestly, uh-huh. it, it flows from the same place as marketing. It's just my, I love seeing people have a good time. I love seeing people connect with one another. And, um, it's, it's truly for me, it's, 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 I have no ego when I show up. It's just like, mm-hmm. hey, how can I serve you and your family? How can I make sure I, I facilitate a great memory? And um, but it's it's definitely something that I, I, it fuels me creatively in a way I didn't think it would, but it does. What's the key to DJing a great wedding? It's, it's gonna sound really cliche. I would say one thing for us is like whatever the bride wants, you need to listen. I mean, just like, <laughs> make, just like listen to the bride, you know, like just make, make life simple. Uh, but the other thing is play the songs that everyone loves. Like, like create that moment where there's grandma and there's the bride and there's a little cousin and they're all on the dance floor together to their favorite Michael Jackson song. Like just play, like play mm-hmm. the hits, let people, let people reconnect with their, like their old high school playlist. Um, that's actually one of the tricks of the trade is find out the person's birthday whoever the guest of honor is, and then go back to when they were in middle school, high school, college, elementary school, and you have all the songs you need to play for the entire night. Wow. Really? So just check that's, the charts for that that's like, it. 15 check the charts. years and you've made their life. So it's really a retro thing rather than a current thing. All nostalgia. Ah, uh, there you go. There you go. That's the trick. I just saw and every DJing. worship leader is like, but wait, we can't do a song that's more than six months old. <laughs> <laughs> there, you just started a brand new worship war um, at at church thing, Kevin. Congratulations, that's awesome. People are like people are like bring back the hymns. 
<laughs> no, there are other people who just want like shout to the Lord. They want that back. Anyway, um, okay, I digress. How did you get interested in marketing? So around the same time that I was getting heavily into music, I started studying it in college, like with professors in the in the Nashville area who would come in, who are practitioners at labels, and I just got really frustrated with the idea of getting picked and not so much that, you know, by customer, but being picked by a middleman. Right. Mm -hmm. So in the music industry, if you want to be a songwriter, producer, there is, you know, at the time, right. If I want to be in the pop music world, there's a 60 year old who does not listen to this music at all, who is the gatekeeper to deciding if you reach other 20 year olds. Right. And that just felt really weird to me. And I just, and I hated the model. And around that same time, my dad's youngest brother, Chris, who's more like a, a mentor to me um, than an uncle, he introduced me to marketing. He said, hey, well, I don't even know this, but I'm, I'm writing songs, but I'm writing them for actual for brands. I was like, what do you mean? What brands? He's like, yeah, Sports Illustrated just paid me to do a compilation album just for their for their uh, campus edition of their magazine. And wow. and I was like, well, that's, that's crazy. That, that exists. And, he's, and then he's like, well, you know, right now Mountain Dew and Red Bull are creating, are creating their own record labels. I was like, what? And so I just went all in on trying to learn about what was happening in the marketing space that would lead to these partnerships with, with, with music. And the more I started to learn, the more I was like, this is me. Like this is, Hmm. I mean, I was just, I became so obsessed with learning about it. I was like, it just pulled me in in a way that music never did. And I love music, but it was just so natural for me to pick those books up. And that's kind of when I was like, maybe there's something I want to love. I'm going to enjoy doing. And um, I ended up starting my own company in college it was a sonic branding agency, and it was all about helping people figure out how companies use music. It was, uh, so the question was, what does your brand sound like would be the question. Sonic branding. Got it. That's it. Wow. Yeah, what's your brand? So NBC chimes and like the on hold music for your store or um, what you hear inside of a retail environment. Like that's all about what your brand sounds like. I don't know too many people who would do that. Um, that that That's fascinating to me. Why... Why do you think it was marketing? What? Because I agree. I mean, as we've worked together, it's not like, oh, you know, I'll get to that at eight thirty tomorrow when I'm in the office. Like you're all over this. You're just passionate about it. You're you're a student of it. Uh, you're listening to podcasts on your way home from work, on your way to work, when you're in the gym. I mean, you just kind of devour this stuff. So um, before we started recording, we talked about platform and you know getting other people's message out there. Why Why does that resonate so much for you? I feel like when I had a chance to see a lot of artists up close in college, um, it, it put, gave me words to this. And that was, I, just, I do not like seeing someone who feels called to do something be limited by their lack of expertise in an outside area or just their ignorance mm-hmm. in an area and I feel like if we're truly the body of Christ, and this is my like my life scripture. But if we're truly the body of Christ, I think at some point, if you're a thumb and I'm a pinky, if I'm if I'm in your way, I'm hurting me too. Hmm. Because if you're not if you're not in the right particular spot, the whole body's weaker when you're out of line. And and so for me. If, if there's someone who's supposed to be in a certain position, then I feel like it's my job to help them. Like, how can I get behind that? And if there's a message that God gave you to share with some people, it doesn't need to be a million people. It can be a thousand people. 
Well, those thousands need to hear it. So what are we going to do? Because if you if you can do that, those other thousand are in their space now and maybe we're all better because of it. And so I remember I told you when I first met you, I said, I care about helping people with a message reach people. And that's and that's really what it is. It's like, hey, there's someone who really needs it. Um, I think our friend Johnny Cuff says, you know, seeing what you do is medicine. Like if you have mm. medicine for someone, then I have to I want to help you get the medicine to someone. Totally. And that's been my consistent experience with you. Um, you know, over the years we've worked together. Talk about some of the project you projects you've been involved with at Orange, Dave Ramsey, and some of your independent projects. Well, yeah. Um, so I, I kind of went back through it. I, I, I struggle with stopping to celebrate. That's one of my weaknesses for uh-huh. sure. I don't do that very often. Um, and so uh, going back, and so uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, a part of his team for a, for a few years and had a chance to uh, help lead all the marketing for all of his events that he was doing. Um, that included Johnny Cuff Start Conference, but a lot of Dave's tour. Um, also got to contribute to, to, to John's uh, book launch for Start. Um, and yeah, talk about what you did in New York Times or New y- York Square. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. So so um, in Times Square, and I mean, I was a big part of it, obviously, You'd pull this off of a gigantic team. Um, but uh, in Times Square, we were actually able to take over Times Square with a flash mob for Johnny Cuff's book. And uh, we actually had this gigantic like start switch that we kind of pushed over from uh, pushed over from average to awesome. And we had a lot of people show up with T-shirts. And we did this private event where we spoke to this flash mob and we kind of let them out there. And it was really awesome. And, it, and I mean, that book went on to become a New York Times bestseller. And um, that led to me also getting the opportunity to uh, consult uh, for William Morris Endeavor, which is a, a a gigantic talent agency, and consult them as they worked on uh, Oprah's first live event tour, um, and that and that was actually uh, five years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, and so and so I got to work on her first event tour, and that led to me doing personality marketing for Dave Ramsey's people. So all the authors and speakers that were kind of coming up, including Dave's daughter Rachel, I had a chance and the privilege of serving. Um, and then 2014. And it's me and you. It's, it's, you know, yeah, I, you and, and me get to work together. <laughs> that's right. And so we launched the podcast then. And and uh, Carrie, this just hit me as, we, as I was thinking about things before our interview today. And so we launched the podcast in September 2014. And then I'm leading Tony Robbins' book launch in November 2014. So literally there were yeah. there were only about 90, 90 days separated that and, and 80-hour weeks and a lot of fatigue and a, and a wife who, who, had, who had big eyes like, what are you doing? Um, saying uh-huh. yes to all this at the exact same time, but it was I was just so blessed uh, just to have those cool experiences at the same time. Say I I knew I had to say yes to both. Yeah, and you did. I mean, you worked with Oprah's tour. You worked with Tony Robbins. Uh, I'm going to ask you to the extent that you're comfortable sharing. Sure. What was that like? I mean, there's a lot of people who'd be like, "Are you kidding me?" Oprah and Tony Robbins. I mean, I know you spent some time with Tony personally. Mm-hmm. Um, what What did you learn in your time partnering with them? Yeah, uh, Tony. Tony, I have, I have a lot more stories from the Tony experience. Um, yeah. One One is you don't get that far in life being a phony. And I think people forget mm. that. I think I think people mm. think, oh, oh, well, look at these folks that are on TV. Like, you don't get that far in life being phony. You just can't. It, the, it's, at some point, you get exposed, even if it's privately amongst your peers. No one makes it that far if they're not the real deal. And it, and it's, it, I mean, yes, they have weaknesses. They're not perfect. But at some point, if it didn't work, you mean to tell me the thousands of people who've gone through this program wouldn't out him and say it didn't help me? He's a fraud. I'm so glad you said that, you know, because... Uh, you know, this is what gets me, Kevin. 
there is a suspicion, I think, often of people at the top. And Absolutely. you're going to argue like it's hard to get more top than Tony Robbins in his field, right? I mean, he's Tony Robbins. Yeah. But but there's so many people who are like, oh, the dude isn't real. You get that with mega church pastors. And I was interviewed actually earlier this week for another podcast. And he asked me, you know, you've interviewed almost 200 top leaders now, like world-class leaders. What do you learn about them? And one of my observations was, um, I know a lot of people think that, you know, behind the scenes is not very good, but actually, and maybe I'm just fortunate, but the leaders that I've met and the leaders I hang out with, they are genuinely good people. They're like, what you see is what you get. There's no backstory that's really weird. And I don't think I've ever quite heard anybody say it the way you say it, but you know, that makes sense that you don't get to the level that Tony Robbins is at unless he is the real deal. Like, you know, yeah, for this sure. isn't an, how did you phrase it? It was, it was yeah, yeah, better yeah, said yeah, than that. Yeah, well, you don't get that far by being phony, right? It, it, yeah, it's right, like right, at, right. Some, at, some, at some point it backfires. And so, I mean, when I first met him, my wife was with me. We went to one of the events right when I just started working on the job with him and his team. And um, he, he immediately does not know me yet. I mean, we met each other right. one time before that. Um, and um, no, first time meeting him, he, he walks up, hugs me, kisses me on the cheek. Walks up, hugs my wife, kisses her on the cheek. Like, stranger, complete stranger, do not know this man. And like, the love that's kind of radiating off of him, you know? I compare a lot to like Bob Goff, but like, with way more intensity, you know, like because you know, Bob, because Bob is because Bob is the same way. Like he's so kind, and like Bob, Bob energy, is Bob it, will it, just hug you, man. It fills a room, like it feel, like Bob's love for people fills a room, and Tony's is similar, right? You say what? How dare you compare Tony Robbins to Bob Goff? But I think that's the point. It's like the love for people that he has is like oozing off of him, and and you and you're like, I'm like, man, that's what I want for myself. I want to say when I'm successful financially that I'm not reclusive. I'm, my arms are open wider than ever, right? And I think that's one of the cool things about it. Um, I mean, he's obviously a very uh, interesting man, does some very interesting things. I mean, you know, like right before we launched the book, he's over in India for a couple of weeks, like because he wants to be. And the book launches like hmm. in two weeks. You know, the average author's panicking. He's like, no, I'm going to India. You all can figure it out. I mean, you know, it's like, but I think, so I think that's another thing about just the whole experience. But uh, it was a pleasure to be around, to be around him, and, and just really see the way he operated, and um, but I, I mean, we walked on fire. That I mean that I, I did walk on you fire. You did. You did the fire yeah, walk. They, they, they cool. had to walk on. I mean, he want he wanted his team to truly experience it. So I mean, I had to go to the event. I had to go walk on fire. I had to go with my, you know, experience some of the stuff we we did, and and it was uh, it was life changing. But it, more importantly, it, it just showed me a another way to uh, to experience success, which is awesome. I know this is probably uh, just a curiosity trail, but sure. what's it like to walk on fire? Everybody know who knows Tony Robbins knows about the fire walk. What what is that? It was it was awesome because I sincerely did not feel anything, and I and I and I mean that with everything. And I saw them pour fresh hot coals right before I walked. The smoke was in my face, and they, and they said because he'll say stop the lines, fresh coals, and they'll put new hot coals on right before you walk on and you can see this glowing like the wall the, like the you know it's, it's glowing in this in this parking lot and um and there are people who actually got who who don't the ambulance had to come get a couple people because some folks you know they did burn their feet um he's like hey you you know it's, it's really about he does his own methodology about how he have, how he wants you to tune into a different part of your mind to to take away some of the senses that might come from your feet and um but it was I mean, it was awesome i felt so empowered i was like what i just did that okay i can what can i not do um, but it was an incredible experience. And, um, and just once again, I've been really blessed. Dave, Tony, Oprah, these individuals, they, they care 
about what they do. They they're they're rich enough where they don't have to do it anymore. Like like they, they, yeah, that's right. Like, if money was the goal, they were done a long time. A long ago, time right? ago. If money was the goal, they were all done a decade ago. That's not yeah. the issue. And I think and I think that's why. I mean, being on these folks, I think I would have been equally suspicious um, a couple of years ago. But after being around um, a lot of uh, successful leaders, you start saying, okay, wow, like. The mission is what wakes them up. Like, like that's what makes this happen. You've hmm. got, you know, and you talk about this in lasting impact about about you know white hot. Like, it has to burn. Yeah. At a at a at a at a level that might be actually that that's what makes you peculiar, is that your passion for the mission burns a degree hotter than everyone else's. No, I think I think that really resonates. So let's talk a little bit about because you look at it, you know, whether it's uh, Tony Robbins, Oprah, Dave Ramsey, John Acuff, even helping little old me. I mean, it's amazing to see what you do. But you've got you've learned some things about marketing and platform building, and that's really what I want to drill down on in uh, the rest of our time today. Um, what do you think most leaders fail to understand about marketing? Like, what are we missing? When we think about marketing, what what are we not paying attention to that we should know? I think if from a, for a leader, especially if you're not, you know, I'm not asking you to become a marketer, so I don't think that's necessarily the role, but I think the issue is that many leaders still view marketing as promotion. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds silly to say, but promotion is such a small piece of marketing. Um, so by definition, marketing is about uh, creating, communicating, delivering, and exchanging offerings that have value to others. And I think mm-hmm. if you if you look at it that way and say, well, well, what does that mean? It's I mean, it's the course, it's the product, it's it's the pricing, it's the ways, it's where it's distributed. If you're willing to own that piece and say, hey, yeah, I'm I'm in a value exchange. Hmm. And and if and and if that's the case, then marketing is baked into what is happening, right? So, for example, as a leader, my, I mean, I'm, a, I'm the grandson of a, of a pastor, and so I, I feel I feel a little a little qualified, very little to say a few things. But and that is, you know, when you choose your service times, your yeah. service times are baked in marketing. If you choose a 7 a.m. start time for service, you know who you've excluded. Like you've made a decision. <laughs> Of who's not coming and who that service is for before you've said anything about the style of worship, before you said anything about the teaching style, you chose a service time that's going to eliminate some people, period. And if you choose a 7 p.m. time, you're also choosing and eliminating an audience of people right there from the decision. That's baked in marketing. And I think sometimes we think of those things, we separate them as it's how I tell people about what I'm doing, when in all honesty, it's everything you're doing. Hmm. Play that out with a couple more examples. Sure. Like going back to, you know, and I want to talk a little bit about how y- you and I started when we started working together. Sure. I, go go back, pre-me or other examples. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, another example might be your price point. I mean, I've been, obviously right. for, your, for a church, it might be no price point. But that's even a, a great point that the, the fact that church charges nothing for attendance says something different than going and paying for a concert ticket. Right. And yeah. so and so I know it sounds really silly just to just keep throwing these uh, nebulous pieces out there. But when you think about the reason why a Chevrolet charges one one price and a BMW charges another price before I know what's inside the vehicle, they're trying to use their price point to communicate something to me. Who yeah, was this that's for? true. Who was this for? Who was it not for? And I think the and, and so 
all of this is a part of the value exchange that we're a part of is that we are communicating before we start to unpack the pieces. And I, and, I, and I think for a leader, it's not so much of me trying to point out all things you're doing right or wrong. I think if you can just broaden your perspective about marketing, I think it starts to change things. So a, a, one of my favorite stories is uh, when they first launched the iPod. At right. the time, no other device had white headphones. No other device. Oh, you know, I never thought about that, but that's very true. I remember seeing that and going, whoa, it's white. So what that meant for them was they said, how can we make sure that when Carrie's walking down the street, his friends know what's in his pocket without saying what's in your pocket. Ah, so now brilliant. there's this, now there's this visual piece that's w- walking around telling everyone Carrie has an iPod. That's the only hmm. company that's selling white earbuds. That's the only company. And it became this visual thing where we, where we knew what you had in your pocket without you ever being flashy or, or showboating, right? And so I think, and so well, that's that's marketing baked into the product. And so I think sometimes what I want people to understand is that if you're willing to say to yourself, I'm in a value exchange and what pieces help or hinder that value exchange? What is this intentional uh, as far as how we're communicating what we're doing and, and attracting those we're trying to serve? And that starts with, I mean, in my mind, every part of it. I mean, you know, for those who don't, for those who do small groups and for those that don't, they're communicating something to someone, whether they like it or not. And it might be, in their mind, a, a simple ministry decision of resources. Mm-hmm. But what that does for the for the general public is it communicates something about what you're about, what you're not about, even if you don't want it to mean that way. Um, and so I tell people all the time, broaden your perspective. Your product is a part of the marketing. It's not just the end, the end game. Now, you've got a definite philosophy and approach, a style that I've seen you use in different settings. If you had to summarize it really simply, what is your personal philosophy to marketing and to platform? Uh, it's two pieces. Um, I think serving is greater than selling is probably the, the one I think is overarching over everything. But you, you can have the new shiny object, right? But if it serves, if it serves someone else, it can be the most boring thing in the world, and we'll and we'll still buy it. We'll still appreciate. It, we'll still share it because it's helpful. Um, I think I think so that's that's one that always kind of sits above it for me. The other thing is, I think you want the whole to be greater than some of the parts, and and so mm-hmm. so for that, I'm thinking your podcast was successful because we already had a great blog. And when I say great, I mean like people were getting value from it every day. You were helping other leaders. And so launching a podcast out of nowhere would have been one thing. And I'm sure I do think you were a great interviewer. I think eventually you still would have been successful, but it was different because you had already been serving someone. But what happened was we were actually making them work well together. We were thinking about how to make sure they support one another um, and, and, and how we make sure the whole fits. The same thing with social media. And so it was like each piece made the other pieces better. As yeah. we started to add things to it, um, and I think, I mean, I mean, you know, by the time we got to Lasting Impact and obviously High Impact Leader, like it became a, a, a each part was just pulling on other pieces from the others. And I think that's what big part I think is from a marketing perspective, I want to always be thinking about not just how my decision solves one problem or how fulfills one strategic need, but how it makes everything we're doing better. Be a chess player, you know, in, in that way. So, I mean, I'm a strategist by nature, but I think that's a big mm-hmm. part. It's a big philosophy for me is, can I do that? And then the other thing for, for platform is just saying, hey, I was telling another leader this this morning, I love Michael Hyatt and I believe yeah. in what he teaches a lot. Um, but when he talks about platform, he said a platform was so you can stand on it. 
And I think in today's world, you're building a platform so you can lift others up. You need a platform mm-hmm. that people can stand on top of, right? And so I was telling someone that, and I was actually bragging on you. I said, hey, what the reason Carrie's platform works is because he's truly trying to build a platform so every leader in the country can stand on top of him and say, this is the platform I'm creating to give you a leg up so that you don't have to go through what I went through. I talk about burnout, you know, like, well, hey, talk about burnout. Yo, there goes Carrie talking about burnout again. It's like, no, no, no. But for those who are in it, this is like a drink of water on a day when they're just mm-hmm. thirsty. They're like, thank you, God, for this at the right time. I'm on the verge of losing my family. I'm on the verge of losing my kids. I'm on the verge of losing my church, losing my ministry. And so I think people are saying, hey, don't see platform as something so negative. Yes, I get it. There's plenty of you know egocentric people out there. You don't want to be like them. But don't let that deter you from the true benefit of a platform. That's to give everyone else a leg to stand on. That's a that's a really good word and you know I certainly hope that's accurate in my case. One of the things I so appreciated about you Kevin is you and I spent a lot of time when we started working together almost 4 years ago now uh very yeah, philosophically. It wasn't just like, well, what do you want to do next and how do we get it to market? We we really developed a philosophy and I had written a couple of books. I had started blogging. I've been blogging for two and a half years, and we probably had traffic already on the blog into the millions a year. Um, it's grown a lot since then, but you know that was good. And then I had this dream of a podcast, which was still in the idea phase, and you did the launch of that. But I remember we talked about like, what is my brand about? What is the most valuable commodity? And you remember the word we kept coming back to again and again, and we use it all the time: trust. Mm-hmm. That, that the most important asset that my company owns or that I own as a leader who helps other leaders is simply trust. And talk about that a little bit because, you know, even, even though, you know, the blog's free, this podcast is free, it costs the reader something. It costs them their time, that there's a value exchange that happens even right. with the free stuff. That's right. Right. And you really, you you brought to the surface in me, first of all, it was completely consistent with what I was trying to do. You gave it language. And, um, you know, you helped me really see that even every time I publish something for free, every time a free episode drops, uh, there's a value exchange going on, even with your free stuff, even though no money is passing hands. And I think a lot of people miss that. So can you talk about that a bit? Absolutely. I mean, when people are consuming your free content, they're paying you attention, right? When they join right. your when they join your email list, they're paying you with information. And when they and when they when they buy your product, they're paying you with obviously more formal compensation. So you have this you have these layers to currency. And each time there's still valuable valuable commodities. I won't get my hour back for listening to this podcast. I won't right. get back giving up anonymity to be known by you by giving you my information to join your email list. And so these are things that are are, are communicating my trust level. And and I think that if we're willing to say at the end of the day, all we're doing on social media, podcasts, et cetera, is scaling real life. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're word of mouth was, was still what it is. It's just mobilized with a share of a Facebook post or a retweet. It's still word of mouth. And so I think that people can make this really complicated. But when I look at what you and I talked about, one of you first said, and you told all listeners this, you said, hey, my goal for this podcast is to let you behind the scenes on the conversations I have in green rooms with speakers all over the country. And that's what you've yeah. been trying to do, right? I'm trying to scale access 
to networks. I'm trying to say you, you, the person who may not have a mentor in the middle of nowhere as a, as a, you know, a pastor at a church plant, you now have access to the best leaders in the world. And I hope that if you want to do what they're telling you to do, that you will grow and so will your ministry. It's like, exactly, so, yeah. you know, and so I think if anything, I want people to understand like, Hey, but if I'm willing to honor that people will feel it, they'll say, man, you really care about honoring my time. You really care about honoring me when I give you my email address and not abusing that trust uh, to have direct access to me. Um, you don't abuse that trust when I'm going to give you money and you make sure the products are of value um, to, and the trains are of value so that I get something out of it. It's a game changer. It really is. And we worked so hard on that philosophy. And I think part of it was, you know, that wasn't entirely foreign to me. But even being able to name it, and I learned that as my team has grown, you know, now we have four or five on the team. But um, to be able to share that with people, my whole staff have heard me say, hey, uh, we, our most important commodity is trust. That's what we do. Hmm. And everything from how you answer an email to um, how you talk to a client or to a listener or to a reader that is all going up against the whole idea of trust, you know, and trust is, did we do what we said we were going to do when we said we were going to do it? And then how people feel at the end of the day, like when they click, is it a disappointment or is it a value add? They paid with their time, they paid with their attention, they paid with all that. So that was so good. And I think often what I see a lot of church leaders missing is they don't have that kind of value proposition conversation. Like when somebody goes to your church, that is a big deal. When somebody buys a product from you in the business, that is a big deal. When somebody even walks into your store to ask a question before they spent a penny with you, that is a really big deal about how you handle them. And I think sometimes we forget that. I see you nodding. Go ahead. No, it's just true. I mean, I'm just I'm just confirming everything you're saying because I think that when I think about going to church now, and I'm and I'm not, and I'm I'm a, a proud Jesus follower, but I'm thinking when I think about mm. it from strictly from a from an experience of for others, right? You work five days a week, you are exhausted. You probably have very you probably have very little family time throughout the week, and you're saying that this time uh, we have during the weekend should be spent in community with these people because God mm-hmm. said we're two or three together. So me and my wife could have God at home, right? I mean, if I'm, I'm being, just yeah, being I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, like God will True. join us at the house. So I'm choosing to be a part of this community and not so much of serving me as far as giving me what I want, but just the intentionality of trying to serve me, period. Yeah. I will feel that. I will feel it. I will feel it. And, and, and my, I will never get, that hour, hour and a half, two hours, however long your service is, growing up my church, three hours, um, you'll never get that back. And, and and just saying, hey, if nothing else, we want to honor the time of the people who spend time with us because we care about them and want them to feel like we care. So it's time to spill some secret sauce. I want to go back to the launch of this podcast. And, uh, you know, we all we had was an idea um, I think anybody who's tracked with us for a while knows this was a low cost startup. And, you know, I didn't have a team at the time. Orange had come alongside with you and a few others to help launch it, which was incredibly gracious. Um, but like we, we made it to number one on iTunes in our debut. And just thinking about it, getting ready for this interview, not only do we hit number one in Christianity, religion, and spirituality, number one new release, number one on the charts, I, I don't think I'm telling you out of school. I think we cracked the top 40 of all of iTunes 
in that first month. Yeah, we did. I, I mean, I, up there I have with like Joe Rogan. You got screenshots. You saw yeah, the screenshots. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I keep that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. I probably do somewhere as well. <laughs> but like we were in the top 40 of all of iTunes, which is amazing. And I mean, new podcasts get launched all the time. And so, you know, it's not unheard of, but it's unusual, particularly for a guy interviewing people from his house. Um, and I remember this number. We did it by leveraging 419 people. Do you remember that? I do. I remember. I said, I, that's right. That's right. Take it. Take us through the strategy because people are like, how did it become such a big podcast? And obviously you can launch big and then sputter. And we've been really fortunate, you know, over 5 million downloads, the whole deal since then in the last three and a half years. But walk us through the strategy step by step, because I think this is something that most leaders forget that you can do and it doesn't take a million dollars yeah so the first thing uh we did we I, I, we went to the, the the broader list and said hey i'm working on a podcast if you'd like to be kept in the loop as we develop it let me know so we had uh those people foreign people who actually were a subset of a larger list and yeah i think how many did we have on the list at the time so this is an email list it's right, it's right, email maybe list, five thousand right. or so uh, no we, we, more than that but, but that more than that oh. but we already we already in the uh in 20s by then I think you were already close we really? Yeah, we were early, early like low 20,000. But but the cool thing about it was I love that it was 500, you know, 419, right? Because yeah. that's, that's what's so special is that yeah. these people were saying, hey, Carrie, we appreciate the value. And if, you know, if you're going to move to this other medium, that would be really intriguing to us. And it makes sense why that might be a small subset because most of the people on the list were readers. They liked reading. Right. That's what they like to do. They like to read content. And so, um, so we had some auditory learners who were like, hey, I'm into that. So they raised their hand and we put them on this list. And the first thing we did was we actually let them hear a um, hair pilot episode. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think it might have been you and Ron Edmondson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Think, Ron was one mm-hmm. of my first yep. guests. One of the yep. first one of the first interviews you did. And I remember I remember that we, so we got some feedback there, um, which was really helpful. And then from there, we started. We just kept them in the loop and said, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a um, a preview episode. For, I mean, one's gonna be an intro episode. We're gonna just tell you about the podcast, cast vision, and let everyone know why you're doing this. The second episode we're gonna do is actually a short p- preview of the interviews we recorded so far. We're gonna put them together and do some snippets, kind of thing. This you can expect on the episode. And then we're gonna drop episode one the very next week. And so we essentially mm-hmm. dropped three different episodes." over maybe a four or five day time span. And and what that does for iTunes, for those who are listening, iTunes, the way they initially scan your downloads are not based off of uh, people. It's actual downloads per episode, but for the entire show. So right. for 400 downloads times three episodes, obviously we're talking about 1,200 downloads over a really, really short condensed time span. And, and, and it's, it helped us skyrocket. And then obviously at that point we were teasing that it was coming to the audience. We told everybody to go uh, subscribe. We asked our, our preview people to leave reviews. And it just started momentum. It got excitement around it, got momentum around it. And obviously it doesn't hurt to launch with Andy Stanley. Yeah, it did, it did not hurt to Does launch not with hurt. Andy Stanley. Does it was episode one. Doesn't and hurt. Thank you again, Andy, for doing that. Yeah, we did that. And then we also did, we asked them to share on social. Do you remember this? It was like Tweet a Coffee. What was that thing? It was some little plug-in or whatever. Oh, yeah. Spent. Tweet to pay. Yeah. 
Tweet, tweet, well, tweet to pay. Pay, 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 pay. Right. What was, pay what with was a tweet. Pay I mean, with a tweet. Pay with a tweet. Pay with a tweet. That's right. So, okay. what, so what we did was um, if you would promote the show, we would give you a, a, a simple little gift. And it could be a digital download. It could be, uh, obviously, in our case, it could be, could be a, um, you know, a, a Starbucks gift card that's unveiled. If you go to paywithatweet.com, there's a free version of the site, a service where you can actually um, pre write the tweet. Someone clicks the tweet, it actually opens up Twitter or Facebook. Post right on their platform, and then once they click submit, it unveils this discount or this coupon or this gift, and it was a really great way to to incentivize people to to promote it and say, hey, we want to give back to you for giving to us um, in this way. And so, I mean, I think that goes well with almost anything. Thinking to yourself, saying once again, what's the inherent value? What's what's the inherent value to someone else when we're going out and we're asking people to support us? Can we make that valuable for them too? Yeah, and so it was one of those things where those 419 people really got us to the very top of the charts on iTunes, got us noticed. They felt benefited. This is another thing I learned from you. People pay for access. People, not pay, but I mean, it was free to join the list, but like you get that behind the scenes tour. It's like, you know, in sometimes when you used to rent movies on DVDs, they'd have the making of at the end of it. I was often more interested in the making of than I was in the movie. And we found there's always a group that wants to know about, hey, like, you know, the cover design for my new book. We had 2,000 leaders in on that, voting and giving feedback. And if you can take people behind the scenes, they love that. Not everybody, but they do. And those are your early adopters, right? So we leverage that. Absolutely. One of the things Dave Ramsey taught me, and this is a quote directly from him. He says, people buy in when they can weigh in. And I love that Mm. because it's just so true. Like, if you're if it's truly a community that you're leading and it's not about you, which it's not, then allowing the community to be a part of the process is what they want. They're like, hey, if this is if we're we're all in this together, we're all trying to build the kingdom of God. This is something you're you are a person who's out front communicating to lots of leaders. So once again, go to that body of Christ analogy there, right? But it's true. Supporting you is helping me. If mm-hmm. if, if 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 you're truly successful in doing what, what you say you're doing, then we all win. And so let the community help out. What are some other examples from the past or like since then, uh, since we launched the podcast, where you've seen that strategy work? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've, I've so many where I think the community can, the community jumps in and helps. Um, I mean, obviously, let me last name is a good example as well. We we, we did because we saw it worked once and we kept doing it, saying, "Hey, us opening our hands up to the community is winning." It's working, so let's keep mm-hmm. doing it. Um, but I think Lasting Impact is a good example. I think you you see the same thing with um, you know when Mountain Dew lets people vote on a new flavor. You know, I, I mean, right. I, I, I think people. I mean, you see Coca Cola when they started putting everybody's names on Coke cans, and how how it helped them skyrocket sales because people want to buy the the personalized drink for their friend that has their name on it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's something about trying to engage the humanity and the, and the, and the, and the people and their interests. And so we did that with lasting impact in a couple of ways. Obviously we made sure that there were pre-order bonuses that really would add value to the book. Like it wasn't just going to be the, get the free thing, you know, it was like, Hey, can we add value to what you're going to get? The one thing we also did was we consulted them about, about the, the book title, and we, and we, yeah. and we, and we, I mean, lasting impact. That well, actually, readers picked lasting impact because mm-hmm. that was not my idea for the book title. And then we sampled it, and 
uh, lasting impact somehow emerged from the dialogue as like the obvious winner. And then when we tested it, it scored really well. Yeah. And I'm so glad we did that, by the way, because I mean, Me too. I, my my affection for that name has really grown um, and for a lot of reasons. But I think it just goes to show that um, I love the 419 number. I'm going to go with it for one second, because I think it's just so easy for us to say, if I don't have the masses, I can't do it. And like that, right. and that's just, and it's just a lie. I mean, it's, it's a lie we're telling ourselves. And it's, and, and I didn't think if we're willing to own that, it's just not true. Like that is not how things that are powerful get started. Uh, there's a powerful TED talk from Derek Sivers about how to start a movement. And it says, the first follower is how you start a movement. The first follower is the person who turns a lone nut into a leader. Hmm. And I and I believe that. And so, hey, th- those four people who showed up, they <laughs> gave a momentum for lasting impact. They you know each person who showed up made made the movement to come around and make sure that the leaders of this generation weren't on an island and that they don't have to suffer or struggle alone. Um, that's powerful. And I think the key, and you know, you taught me this, um, is the key to creating a growing tribe is just continue to develop value, continue to add value. Uh, those are the free episodes. Those are the free. And then occasionally, if you have a paid product, I mean, somebody's got to pay for the staff, right? Like I've got a staff now and the whole deal. Um, you know, if you have a paid product, there's so much goodwill built up. There's so many great things. If you release a book, if you've got an ask of your audience, most of them are great. The other thing that, that most of them are great with that, like very, very, a tiny sliver gets upset if you ask something back, like almost almost non-measurable. You know, another thing we did, and again, it was your idea, you and your team, um, but the Starbucks giveaway. Oh my goodness. Like we've done that four or five times with this podcast where, uh, and I think we even started with, I don't know, it was a hundred bucks worth of Starbucks gift cards or 200. And I think for the 5 million download a few months ago, we did, uh, I think I maybe spent a thousand dollars on Starbucks gift cards over a week. Wow. Um, but And so people are getting on average, what happens, you load up a gift card, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is, you throw it on your social, uh, people go and scan the code, they get a free drink. So you're probably getting, what, a $2 value on average, $3 value, maybe? Yep. Man, but Kevin, you would think we had given people like a free car or a house or, <laughs> you know, here's a million dollars. Like, the gratitude, and this this is fun, the gratitude for a free cup of Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever is far greater than the value they received. And that's just, what is behind that? That is, people are just so thankful for that. What's the principle behind that? Because, I mean, I love making people happy, so that, that makes me really happy. But why are they so happy? Well, I, th- I think a big, first of all, a big part of it is I think the, the, it's the way the mind interprets pleasure, too. Right. So, so that's one of the big mm. things as a marketer. I've learned that studying marketing is great. Studying psychology is better, you know, um, <laughs> and, and and the way people interpret and, and attribute moments of joy or pleasure or gifts is very different. You know, it's, it's, and it's, it's the reason why when you see your your kid walking around and they make you smile, we think about it later, you can you can you can almost experience more emotion when you reflect on memories than you did even in the moment, mm-hmm. right? Because it's how we associate things. And and I think that for many of us, especially as adults, we go th- we go through life and we're deprived of these these nice little you know moments of generosity or random random acts of kindness. And for a person who you don't know, 
to do something nice for you, uh, it's pretty powerful. And and I, and, it, and it creates a ton of of affinity and love um, and relational equity with your with you the person with your church with your company um and i and and, it, and and you can't you can never even measure what that does in the mind in the hearts and minds of others like it's it's immeasurable mm-hmm. and i think that once again i think you're seeing it i think other brands who do that see it like it it comes back tenfold uh, i keep quoting dave ramsey because he is so impactful uh, as a mentor to me in many ways and he always told us a good brand is a generous brand and I believe that hmm. uh, without with all my heart, uh, a good brand is a generous brand, and um, and it, it it comes back tenfold to you for sure. It's funny because you know uh, earlier this year we created some values for my growing little company that does the blog, the podcast, books, you know, speaking, all that stuff. As we've grown a team, and one of our values is err on the side of generosity. And the question is, am I living and leading generously? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're gonna make if we're gonna make a mistake, let's make a mistake on the side of generosity, not on the stake side of, of of stinginess. And I think sometimes. You know, in church world and small business world, a scarcity mentality can abound mm-hmm. and it can be like, well, we can't do this for free or we have to do it for everyone. Did everybody win us free Starbucks? No, but even the people who didn't get it, you know, they got, they scanned the code and it was already gone by the time they hit their Starbucks in whatever city they were in. They were still thankful they had a shot and they were looking forward to tomorrow mm-hmm. when maybe it would be their turn, right? <laughs> That's right. And I don't know. I think it's the little things that we often forget that can make such a difference. And again, none of these ideas Kevin and I have shared with you have to bankrupt you. That's right. Um, you know, th- this is not like a multi-billion dollar marketing thing. Uh, it's a little things. Uh, what else for some of the other brands that you've worked with have been some great moments for you? Oh, man. I mean, I, what I love most is seeing people experiencing the, on the other end because the marketer, sometimes you can be a little mm. removed from it. Um, so yeah. like, I mean, so I, a big part of what I do to Dave's, I work with John A. Cuff on his 5 a.m. meetups and those, right. those were the best. Now I'm an early riser. So that would, I mean, so 5 a.m. was not a big deal for me, but I'm sure for some people it was a big deal. Um, but what it, when you got to see people saying, I believe, and I want someone to believe in, I have a community to connect with. I'll get up in, on a 5 a.m. on 5 a.m. on a Friday morning and drive across town to connect. Um, that kind of stuff is really powerful. Same thing when you and I did a meetup together uh, at Orange Conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, we looked up and there are 40 leaders in a room. We're like, oh man, this is, this is a lot more than I thought. And this, and this is great, fantastic. And I think those things are really powerful. But um, on, on a more of the high profile side, I think um, I've really enjoyed um, just being able to give people access to an audience ongoing. Um, I, I believe that when you bake podcasting, blogging, and social media into the fabric of what you do, as much as it may not be this direct return, it opens you up to hear from people you're serving every day. And you develop yeah. this this sixth sense about what's powerful for them, what impacts them, what's helpful to them. I mean, I tell people all the time, Dave Ramsey is the only CEO in America who spends 15 hours a week talking to customers. Right. And so, That's so true. And so you look up and like, why is he why is he always on point with his products? Well, he spends 15 hours a week talking to customers. And he hears, sometimes I think like, how does Dave do what he do? Because he hears from broke people all the time, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and I'm sure it's the same eight problems, mm-hmm. you know, if you audited his show, 
I'm sure it's the same eight scenarios that show up all the time. You're like an advice columnist, but he never seems to get tired of it. Yeah, now that part is the craft I can't speak to. God, I, I, I've never experienced it myself. Um, you know, but but I will say, like, you know, you're doing the same thing with the podcast and the blog. I mean, you, I mean I've, I've been to your comment sections before. They can get rowdy sometimes, right? People are passionate. Yeah, and, it gets and, rowdy. You know, they have passions. They have, they have they have ideas. They have opinions, and these leaders are, are pouring themselves into into the same mission you're pouring yourself into, and uh, they they have thoughts and and perspectives. But the thing is, but you know what they are now, and your ability to show up and say, "This is why I know." You know, you need breaking 200 because I've heard your feedback. Yeah. I've heard your questions. You've come to me. You've met with me. You've asked for coffee. They're all the same questions. Like I can help you all much better with this singular resource. I'm going to pour months into developing, um, you yeah. know, and so that's what it's really all about. So I think if I can tell anybody anything is, is bake, bake some kind of open ended, you know, content, you know, platform out there so you can actually connect with people uh, and, and a more ongoing basis. So you probably see marketing mistakes, platform mistakes. What are some common marketing platform mistakes that you just keep seeing again and again? People get online and they lose their minds. Like it is the weird, it's the <laughs> weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing, Carrie. Uh, so, so I say, I say most marketing is, is, is inhumane. It really is. It's greedy. It's paranoid. It's ignorant. It's insecure. It's fearful. It's it's you know it's arrogant. And you're like, but the person and you know me in real life, they're the kindest person in the world. And they, but when they get behind an email, they're like, bye bye right now. Come to my church. It starts here. Drop whatever you're doing. And, and it's like they forget how they will feel when they're getting emails from the Gap. It's like it's like magically they forget what it's like to get sales emails from companies when it's their turn. Yeah. You know, and, and so I'm like, hey, just how would you feel? You're a human being. You shop every day. You know what it's like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, tone it down. Like, you know, you <laughs> know, like just a little bit and, you know, and, and just t tune, get, you know, re reacclimate yourself with your sense of humanity, you know, and saying, hey, these people are busy and, and, and how can I add value in this moment? And what are they probably thinking about? And how can I serve them? You know, they're likely looking for a Christmas gift anyway. How can I communicate that to them that I care? And so that's the number one thing is people just lose their minds. Can I drill down on that for Come a minute? Come on, let's do it. So uh, let's, let's do a uh, pastor's writing an email to his church email list. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, and if you're in business, I want you to just think through a business framework. You're trying to get your customers, your 1,000 customers, whoever's on your email list to come to your store and buy a product at X percent off. Or you got a brand new series that you're doing at your church right. and you want everyone in the house. How do you start writing that email? What's your angle? What's what's going to be, what's a bad example of like, do not do this? And then what is a better approach? Okay. The, the... I'll tell you the well. I'll tell you, you said the bad version first, or the good, ver the right version first. Yeah, bad, you do that. Let's start with the bad. All right, the bad version is coming soon this Sunday. You don't want to miss it for the first time ever. The new series from Pastor Such and Such about blah blah blah. You don't want to miss it. Be there. Bring a friend. You know, free coffee. See you then. Like you know, like <laughs> you just you're talking all these big headlines, and you're trying to sell like you know. But and that works in the movies, right? Because the movies are also capitalizing off of a lot of other things like movie stars you already yeah. know and love stories that they might be redoing from a best-selling novel uh you know the marvel series it already has legions of followers from over three decades of comic books like you can do that 
when there's already a relationship mm. yeah with the brand but you're not black panther and you're not superman absolutely not and so right and so what i would say the right way is this and this is what people don't expect don't start with the writing of the email start with segmenting mm. the list saying okay who on this list is actually a, a member of our church and who on this list just was a one-time visitor talk to the members differently than you do them than the, the visitor if you're a first if, if i have hmm. your email from that first time you visited i can't talk to you like you've been going to my church for five years and it, right so let me just separate the two lists and treat you both very differently seth godin always says treat different people differently hmm. and so i would have an email for my members and i'd say hey as you know, and I, and I will dig in. As you know, at our church, we've recently been talking about this for the past few months, and we've heard a lot of feedback, things like this, things like this, things like this. We've heard, and the question that's been resounding is this, and we know that God has something to say about that. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next four weeks, we're digging into a topic, because I can contextualize it in a way you know. If you're a first-time right. visitor, I'm going to go with the felt need that may be beyond even the church itself. I would say, have you ever asked yourself, you know, why bad things happen to good people. Have you ever have you mm. have you ever wanted to ask have you ever wanted to know why there could be so much chaos in the world when there's an all loving God? We want we want to dig into the same topic. We've had the same questions as you. And our and Pastor, you know, had recently gone through and researched this. I I'm gonna start for the question you're asking yourself. I mean the reality is this cool. people are searching in Google what is the meaning of life. Like they're going to Google for that mm. question. So, so, so the reality of it is, it's okay to own that question with them in an email as well. But I think I would start with separating the list and saying, let me treat you differently based on our relationship. I love it. You know, this, this conversation just reminds me that whenever we have a meeting, I always have my laptop open and I'm taking furious notes, furious notes. Oh, man. So good. So good. Um, okay. A couple more things before we wrap up. We are pushing the hour mark. This is crazy. Talk to the person with very little budget. Yes. They realize they're convicted. They need to do some hard work. Uh, what What would you advise them? Yeah. If you have no budget and no staff, and you're already trying to market your, your and promote your church with this offer, or promote your business and promote your business, then you likely have no time. So yeah. what I would first do is take Carrie's high impact leader course. Because you probably <laughs> and I, and I, and, you. I and, you know, but it's it's true, Carrie. It, it's it's true. I have I've gone through the course and I've and I've I've shared with other people and I'm telling you, like, I will say start there because if you're already spread too thin, every idea I'm telling you is gonna feel like, but yeah, but you don't get me. And I'm like, I you're right, I don't. So let me make sure I support you the person first and say, take care of yourself, find some margin, find some capacity, because these these ideas take time and it's hard to do them when you when you're already spread too thin. Um the next step I'd say is you want to build a personal asset map. Um, you know, here's the reality. Great paintings require borders. If I told you to paint a if mm. I told you to paint a mural on the wall, if I said paint a mural, you say, well where? Because if you if I tell you the canvas has infinite space, you don't know what to create within the space you're given. You don't know when to like create the planet. You, yeah, paint, paint the planet. Exactly. Wait, 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 what am I what am I doing? And so I tell people, well, yeah. you, you know, you need boundaries. Boundaries drive creativity. In fact, we serve a God that specializes in leveraging limitations. 
And I think that if you're willing to say, I'm going to own what I can and can't do, and then we're going to start to build out a plan. So what that means is this. You want to identify how much time you can put toward what you're going to do. If you only have two hours to do some church marketing, just put two hours. Second, how much money do you have? Kevin, I have 50 bucks a month. That's about as good as going to get. Okay, 50 bucks a month. All right, who can help you? All right, well, I have my wife or my husband. I have my friend. My kids might chip in. I, can, I might be able to you know, get an intern. Okay, fantastic. How much time do they have? Okay, collectively, I found another 15 hours a week. All right, now we're up to 17 hours a week. All right. And then we say, well, what are the unique skills and abilities amongst those people? Now we can build a plan because we have resources, we have time, we have hours, and we can prioritize against that time, those skills, and that money. And so, wow. so I think that's what I do all the time. And so I, that's really a big passion of mine. And so, hey, by the way, so I'm going to give away that personal asset map. I'm talking about. So if you go to that's amazing. Yeah, so if you go to kevinbjennings.com forward slash carry, I will give you the personal asset map. Um, it's been really helpful, and I start with all my coaching clients that way because it's just we can get real about what's really going on. I don't want to give you blue pie in the sky when you're you know when you're still working in the dirt and in the trenches. I want you to be able to actually be able to apply something. Um, so start with personal asset map. So kevinbjennings.com slash carry, right. C-A-R-E-Y. That's right. And we'll link to that in the show notes of your show notes, people. Uh, but we'll link directly to that. Kevin, that's amazing. And I love that because it works whether you have $10 or a million dollars. That's right. That's I hope that's the plan. And, and and you can get real about what you really can do. And, and that's okay. I think the next thing is you want to be a party goer and a party thrower. So by that, I'm saying if you think about social media like a party, you go to a party. I go to, I'm on Carrie's podcast. It says Carrie's party. You are his guest. I'm his guest. And right now, my job is to say, I'm going to treat his guests with respect and dignity. And hopefully they'll say, I like Kevin too. If they do, I'll say, guess what, guys? I have a party at my house. Right. It's called KevinBJennings.com. Come to my party too. You can still come to Carrie's party, but come to my party too. And if you like it, Join my email list and I'll invite you back to the party. I'll let you know when we have new events at my party, too. So you can go to both parties. But I have Kevin's a much better DJ, so you <laughs> want to go to his party. And if you, if you go to my party, there's going to be music, I promise. Um, but the cool thing about that is, right, it's like, hey, I want to go to parties so I can meet people and then invite them back. And so I say, so that's that's essentially your entire social media strategy. This entire is your That's your entire website strategy, right, is go out to where people, you can meet people where they are and invite them back to your spot. And you know that you do it every week when you go out in the community, invite people to church. You know what it's like right. to do that, but do that online too. And and that's so good because everybody likes a good party. Like I, you, you, and, and so much in social media, you know, even if you're not the all caps guy, you emit a tone. And I know you and I've worked very hard. I think we're both naturally positive people. And I think you and I've worked really, really hard to maintain that tone in all of our work together, mm -hmm. it's like, we want to be the good guy. When you see Carrie Newhoff in your inbox or Kevin B. Jennings in your inbox, you want to smile and go, oh, wonder what's up today. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as opposed to like, not again. Amen to Which, that. Because you have that feeling from people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah, I think the key thing is, you know, to your point, like you want to be yourself, but you, and you want to say, when I show up, I want to bring value, but I want to be the human person that they're going to know and love offline. I want you to say, mm. you're exactly like I thought you were going to be. What a pleasure. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's yep. possible for sure.
That's cool. Well, Kevin, um, okay. Last couple of questions, just real quick. Uh, best marketing advice you've ever been given? Uh, man, Dave Ramsey getting a lot of love on this podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell by serving. That was Dave Ramsey told me that. Mm. Sell by serving. And I believe that. That's cool. Um, people are going to want to find you online. Where can they find you? Yeah. So if you go to kevinbjennings.com, that's J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S, um, I would love to connect. You can find all the social stuff there. And guess what, Carrie? I decided, I was like, before I get on here, I'm, like, I'm going to do something special. I'm actually going to give away my phone number. So I, so really? I'm going to give my phone number. I am. I, I thought about this long and hard. All right. So ready? So 615-455-3399. That's my. That will actually come straight to my cell phone. If you decide to call or text that number, if you want me to look at something your church is working on, if I have a team of people who can help me, we'll get through it. May not be in 24 hours, but we'll do our best. So 615-455-3399. You can text, email. If you text me on that number, I'll send you my email address. I'm happy to connect with you that way. Um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll even send you a little form. You can actually add yourself to my address book. Uh, if you text that number. So um, I'm, I'm happy to connect with you in the most personal of ways. It's, 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 it's I'm anybody who's a friend of Carrie's is a friend of mine. So I'm happy to support wow. you in any way I can. That is the inner sanctum for tens of thousands of leaders. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kevin. I hope you don't break the internet with that. But uh, you are one of my favorite people to hear from. Uh, Kevin, you've added a lot of value today. I'm just so grateful for our friendship. I'm grateful for being able to know you for four years and work together on projects. So make sure you check them out. You know, well, you got a cell phone now. So, uh, and kevinbjennings.com. Kevin, thanks. It's fun to work with Reggie. It's fun to do this stuff that we get to do together. And I so appreciate you, my friend. Hey, always, Carrie. It's been a pleasure and honor. Um, I love you, love your family. And sincerely, um, you know, the private mentorship has been fantastic. And I, but I do have to tell people the high impact leader course sincerely changed my life, and I and my wife can tell you that my my daughter can tell you that, um and I and I'm and I'm not saying that because you asked me to. As a matter of fact, if I if I wish I no, I, I wish know. I wish I could prove it to everybody, but sincerely, if you have not taken this course and you're the and you're the emerging leader, the the millennial who's who's who feels that like the only way to progress is to say yes to everything, um you have to take this course, and yes, it's going to be hard to accept some of Carrie's principles because you think it's not going to work for you. But you have to do it. And if you want, if you want to, text me. Text me your question about the course. I'll tell you questions and answer questions about the course because I believe that strongly in what it can do and how easy it is to get through it and start applying the principles to your life. Well, that's cool. And you know what? Uh, I don't know exactly when this is going to air. Uh, but I don't think I've shared this with you, but we're uh, flipping the high impact leader to evergreen this. Summer. Oh, all right. So it's going to be open. Come on. Uh, if not, if it's still closed, when you get there, join the waiting list. It'll be open soon. And if it's open, you can get in on that goodness today. And and that w- that makes me so happy because, you know, my story is when I was 40, I burned out. And uh, I don't want that to be everyone's story. You're a really young leader. You got a, what, how old is your daughter? Now? He's two. She's three? Two. two. Mm-hmm. Two. Wow. And to learn this stuff on the front side of burnout, to get some margin in your life as a young leader, Kevin, that there is no better testimony, no better story to me than to know that. So I'm so grateful for that. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, talk to you soon, my friend. Kevin is one of my absolute favorite people. And man, when, you know, I'm just so grateful for the difference he's made in my life. One of the reasons you're listening to this is because of Kevin. 
And uh, man, uh, if you want more information, you can get it in the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 195. Also, remember to check out Design Crowd. Go to designcrowd.com forward slash carry. Get your discount as you get your design work done and jump in on the Art of Better Preaching before it launches. You're going to get the best deal if you can do that. And uh, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks, actually. So we're very excited for that. Next week, we are back with a fresh episode. And who do we have on the show? Well, we got Brian Carter. Brian is an incredible pastor uh, from Texas. And he had the really tough challenge of navigating a longtime, like, founding pastor. He had he was the successor. Uh, this is the story of the next decade of the church, and he tells it so well, as well as, I mean, just a high-capacity leader. Here's an excerpt from next week's conversation. So for the person taking over, I would, um, I would say be gracious to the senior leader. I would say be gracious, uh, be humble, be respectable, because... They invested so much. Uh, it's a life work. And so that involves that whole honoring process that involves that whole uh, just honoring that foundation. Uh, I would say to that new leader, I'd say be patient. Uh, sometimes as a new leader, you come in, you got all these great ideas and you're ready to you say, oh, fix that and fix that. <laughs> I would say be very patient. It takes five to seven years to become the pastor. And so be patient, build relationships, and with time, God will allow that to happen. Then I would even say to them, um, you know, assess the culture, you know, assess and build on the culture that's there. Um, I think it's important not just to come with your own ideas, but to really use that early season to sense um, what God is doing in that church, what God is doing in you, what God has done, and then where does it go from here? So that's next week on the podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have Brian Carter. Hey, Mark Clark is back. Christine Birch has an incredible episode all about, um, well, this is going to be like more than one a week, which I'm really excited about dropping more than one episode a week, all about guest services. I mean, I ran this on the other podcast I do. It exploded. I want to bring it to you. Josh Gagnon is back on the podcast. Danielle Strickland is coming up. I've got Sam Collier, Hayden Shaw, Les McEwen. Bobby Grunwald from Life Church, Max Lucado, um, Nancy Duarte, Andy Stanley, all that comes to you for free as a subscriber. Guys, thanks so much for listening this week. I really hope this helps you wherever you are. Just know I'm on your side and so grateful for you. Have a fantastic day, whatever you're doing. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next Tuesday. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.